Hi, I'm Patrick Palm, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to these interviews is that Favro clients are some of the most innovative and agile businesses out there. And it's used for collaborative planning by marketing teams, by product teams, HR, management teams. And what this means is that we get to know some truly inspiring people. So what we do in this podcast is that I invite them here for conversation about something where they are true leaders. So we can all learn from it. Let's go. Uh, so I'm super happy to, to have you know, Matt here today because you know, this is an example. You know, we, we, we met in LA um, you know, in, in, you know, quite, quite early in the journey of, of, of you know, Favreau. And, and uh, you know, now uh, when we do this series, when we invite uh, people from, uh, from Favreau clients uh, to, to join you know, this conversation you know, you know, live right now, and we have been having a ton of people you know, watching these webinars, uh, you know, the recording of them you know, afterwards. So, so this summer has been has been really great for, for that too. Um, so, so anyways, you know, you know, having that opportunity to to, to meet um, uh, you know people like you know you Matt has been has been uh, has been truly inspiring. Um, but uh, but that's basically you know, the backstory to how, how how we met. But what I think would be really great here is if you could just kind of um, you know give us you know your story. You know, how how did you get into the industry and you know to, to you know to where you are today and you know, working on the on, on, on the cool stuff that we see in your background. Oh, thanks. Yeah, this is our game, uh, Pandora Rising. Um, yeah, thank you for having me here today, Patrick. And uh, really great to be here talking about game development with you. Um, these are truly unprecedented times. I think I've faced some of the most interesting and unique challenges of my career in the last six months, transitioning a, a massive development team to working remotely and uh, and still managing to support a soft launch game, a live game uh, with our release cadence and stuff. Um, so a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about here. A little bit on my background, I have a film and television production degree from USC. Um, so working on Avatar is kind of a realization of a dream I had when I was much younger to be connected to the, uh, to the film industry and, and get to, to work with our partners at Lightstorm on this uh, incredible IP. Um, I got started at Electronic Arts uh, doing esports broadcasting, uh, television production for the esports component of the Command and Conquer franchise. And then I joined the uh, development team. And uh, a lot of that, that core development team is actually still working with us today on Pandora Rising. We've worked through several different companies along the way. And our journey has taken us from uh, PC games to console games to Facebook games and now, and now mobile games. And... Um, often in the strategy genre so that's a little bit about how we got to where we are and you know you you mentioned your your background from from film and you know as long as i've been in in this industry you know we always have had this conversation around you know the the convergence you know the overlap you know between these industries um can you you know what's what's your take on you know the you know the current state of of you know the film industry versus the uh you know the game industry and you know convert you know uh, convergence and kind of how, how this has been developing over time because i have i mean you must have also seen change if you just look the last five years or, or or longer yeah it's something that we think about a lot um it's i guess the way i would describe it is um games used to be these 60 dollar experiences where you're driving to get to a gold master and then you release it and that's kind of like what films have always been as well sort of an auteur experience, right? Where there's a, a single 
vision holder or a team team's vision that is realized and, and then only released to customers when it's finished. Um, games now have gotten to these live operated live services uh, modes now, um, which is very different, where now we have this direct and daily relationship with our players, where we build the game and we release it, sure, but we're really trying to build a community that can last for years with, with online games. And, um, and we hope that our players love our games and then we collect their feedback and we iterate and we release new content and really the players are, are a part of the journey. And I think that that is where the film and television industry is headed as well if you look at the streaming services, you know, because in the past, um, these film companies, they had to rely on things like Nielsen ratings or, or critical scores like Rotten Tomatoes to try and get any sort of feeling as to, as to what's working and what's not working. But now with streaming, um, they also are able to have this direct and daily relationship with their customers. They're able to see which shows they, they like, and if they like this show, will they like that show? And, and did they turn off at exactly minute 17 of this episode? And, and why was that? You know, that creates a lot of problems as well. You could get in the gaming space too, you can get too obsessed with the data. You could have a data-driven design uh, has some negative connotations to it as well. Um, but uh, it's just a really interesting transformation that I think is happening in both industries right now. So you know th th this this question is um is, is a little bit fluffy but but uh, I I I I'm, it's something I've been thinking quite a bit about recently. Um, if you know, today uh, the game industry is bigger than than the movie industry and and the music industry is you know combined, and and I have a feeling that that you know the I mean the, the you know the the mainstream you know hasn't really understood that yet. And, you know, the media hasn't understood that yet. It hasn't, you know, sunk in. But I also think that we in the, in the industry ha haven't really realized that yet. You know, it, um, so in terms of, uh, I, I mean, you know, there's also a lot of, you know, power that comes with that. You know, there's a lot of you know, IPs being developed, you know, today that are really coming from the game industry rather than film as well. So, and, you know, you're obviously sitting in, in very much, you know, the, you know, the crossroads of, you know, all of this. Um, let's put it, Maybe teething problems is probably the wrong term, but you know, what is your view on you know some of the, let's say you know you know immaturities that we might have in 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 the game industry, you know, uh, where we haven't you know fully realized how how big we are, and, and you know things that you you know you predict will change you know a lot you know the coming the coming five years. So if we were just kind of now looking back, you know, if you also can look look forward, you know, um, what, what do you see? Wow, that's a great question. Um... Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think some of that comes with like being newcomers, newcomers, you know, like film and television have been around for decades and gaming is only just now starting in music as well. Gaming is only just now starting to find its its footing. Um, we don't have as many, you know, quote, celebrities in the in the gaming world yet that we've had over the, the multiple decades of film and, and music. It's still becoming a part of the cultural zeitgeist in a way that film and music have, have already long established. So um, yeah, we'll have to see where that's going. I, I do think that games are becoming more and more um, mainstream. I, I love what Fortnite has been doing with, um, you know, ha holding a concert in that game or debuting a movie clip um, uh, in, the, in the world of Fortnite to sort of bring all these things together. Um, I think seeing more and more things like that um, could be a big part of it. When you make a game, you're building 
you know, a world. Um, and it's a, it's a, a place that people can um, visit and spend time in and, um, and become fans of and obsess over. You know, Riot Games has done an excellent job of this with the, the whole League of Legends universe, their, their world and all the other games and stories that exist in it. So, yeah, I think we're just getting started and it's only getting bigger for sure. So um, if we zoom in a little bit more on the, you know, the, the, the producer's perspective here, um, wh wh what's, the, what's the biggest uh, changes in, in really, let's say, production practices that you have seen in over the last couple of years? And, and obviously, you know, one place where, you know, we will end up in this conversation is, is with, is, you know, with remote work, you know, going from, from kind of opportunity driven to really necessity driven now. Uh, so, so we're definitely going to go into the, that, that topic as well. But, but, you know, if, if you look a little bit broader, you know, uh, you know, how was it, you know, being a producer, uh, and and what what were the kind of you know the the the, the challenges you were tackling then that have you know maybe more you know changed you now over time? Yeah, I don't know if this just relates to my experience and the companies I've worked at or the larger industry, but one trend that I've observed over the last um, several years is uh, a shift to empowering teams more, to having it be less about a, a single leader at the top of a project and more about, um, you know, when we spin up a new feature on our games, we identify a creative lead and a delivery lead for that feature, a project manager type. And uh, we give those two individuals a tremendous amount of autonomy to work with the game leads, come up with their design, um, schedule it out, uh, build it, play test it, uh, check it into our, our mainline branch and, and develop and release it. And um, I have just observed that at least on our teams over the past several years, we've been um, pushing that power and that ownership lower and lower in the in the uh, projects. Um, uh, and it's been leading to some incredible results because when people feel empowered and able to uh, take control of their own features, their own development timelines, uh, they can uh, make some really cool stuff and that passion really comes through. So that that's one trend that we were seeing, you know, before and, and even after the whole coronavirus thing. So, you know, doubling down then on, on the remote, you know, work part. I mean, what, you know, if you would um, um, create, um, you know, a bit of a, a you know, playbook on the fly here um, and, and, you know, sit down with, with uh, you know, with a studio which is, which is struggling or, you know, it's, it's just getting started and, and you know, they, they, they need to, to work in a remote, you know, first way. I mean, what, what, what's, what's your... What's your learnings, you know, so far, you know, both um, before the coronavirus, but but obviously also now, um, you know, during these times. Yeah, there's um, there's it kind of falls into two categories, uh, and you start with the first one. The first one is just the the fundamentals, you know, the blocking and tackling. That's like, what tools are we going to use? What meetings are we going to keep? What new meetings do we need to establish? What's our review process going to look like? And that stuff's really important to figure out and and share and standardize with your team. Um, and, you know, I could talk about that, but I think a lot of that's, you know, pretty common knowledge at this point. The thing that's been um, very interesting for me and our teams is kind of the softer skills, the stuff around the edges of working remote that's actually really challenging that maybe people don't, don't think about as much. Things like um, making sure that everybody has a webcam so that you can see people's faces, like the importance of being able to understand um, emotion or context through seeing someone's eyes, you know, and really encouraging people to turn on their, their cameras when they're presenting or have their cameras on in one-on-ones. Maybe you don't need it on in a team meeting. 
Um, other things too, like um, etiquette within Slack or other uh, project manager or other um, communication tools that you use. Uh, you know, it's much more important when you're remote, if somebody asks you a question to just send a quick reply and just say, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll get back to you or I'm, I'm looking into this. Just acknowledge, you know, receipt of these things. There's, there's so much that we took for granted when we were face to face. Uh, that's just these subtle communications that, that people just do without even realizing it, whether it's, you know, I need a quick answer. So I'll just walk up to someone's desk and get the answer. And now you can't do that. And so you hope that you'll get the quick answer by just pinging them in your, in your chat system, but uh, maybe they have their notifications muted or whatever, and, you know, little things like that, that, um, uh, that get in the way of effective communications and working together. Um, and then I guess the final piece of advice is just having your presence be, be understood, whether it's like, you know, at the start of your day, just typing into your team chat channel, good morning, you know, just so that people know, oh, okay, so Matt's online now. And when you're signing off, say, good night, you know, little things like that make a big difference because you would do that in the office as well. You would see that Matt has walked into the office. You'd see me sit down my bag, grab my coffee, and you don't get some of that stuff now, so. Yeah, that, 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 that's a really good point. Um, haven't, um, I, th I think we, you know, I, I, I think we do a lot of things uh, right with this at, at, at Favreau, but, but that, you know, last thing we talked about, we talked about now, uh, we aren't doing so, I probably start doing that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, um, uh, you know, I, you know, from your, you know, from the producer point of view, um, uh, could you could you touch a bit upon the um, kind of you know challenges and, and some advice you have when you know leading a, a team um, that is working with uh, with external IP um, because this is this is something that obviously we've been doing for a for a long time in this industry and you know that comes with um, you know a couple of different you know challenges that are a little bit unique to to you know those kind of you know those those games and uh, I think I think you are in a in a great position to 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 share share some um, some best practices around that. Yeah, well, the first uh, piece of advice in working with a major IP gets back to your earlier point about how big games are and what a great opportunity this could be. With a lot of IPs, if you're working on a game, uh, that game actually has, in many cases, more earnings potential than even the original IP if it's a, a mid-tier movie or a, or a television show or something like that. Um, and a lot of times these licensors, they don't understand that. So I think it really starts with an education campaign for your licensor, showing them what you're trying to do, what your targets are, how big this can really be, um, and how it can reach new audiences for them to kind of make them believers and get them in your corner. Uh, thankfully, our partners on Avatar at Lightstorm uh, really understand this and, and are very bought into um, to, to gaming like, like ours. Um, so that's one piece of it. And then another piece is uh, just becoming making sure that your team puts in the time and energy to become great brand stewards. Like really understand what's important about this IP to the IP holders and to the creatives that originated it, that made this, and, uh, and make sure that every piece of art that you make, every design decision that you make is true to, to their brand because you're just the steward, you know, they, they created it, it's their thing. And, and you wanna uh, take excellent care of it and bring it to, to new customers, new markets. Um, you know, from um, you know, you you've been using you know Favor for a while, and and uh, do you have a do you have a few examples of you know very specific um, you know challenges in in production that you addressed you know with with you know with, with Favor? 
Yeah, uh, actually relating to our licensor, uh, we use Favreau for our approvals process and um, we actually introduced Favreau to the team at Fox, uh, now Disney, because we were doing our approvals through Favreau with them. And they've since expanded it and they're handling all of their approvals with all of their, their licensed teams through Favreau, which is great. Um, it's a really useful tool for us because uh, when you create a card, you can attach assets to it. They show up in a preview. It's very simple to drag things around, add comments, tag people and get email alerts. Um, it's something that people who don't really understand project management tools or don't want to go deep on understanding project management tools can just see this quick visualization and understand how to engage with it. Uh, it's got version history and, and markups and things like that that we use as well. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. If you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favro.com. They will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.